just want you to stop and, and take a look at the people that are sitting around you for a second. Just actually literally stop and, and look around. I just want you to consider how different the people are from you. We're generationally diverse. There, we have people who are from the age of, of 95 to little children. We're relationally diverse. We have great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and young marrieds and singles and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles. We are culturally diverse. It might not look like it, but for Kelowna, we are culturally diverse. We have Canadians and Americans and Germans and, and Russians and even Newfies. We are occupationally diverse. We have businessmen and tradesmen and educators and pastors and students and homemakers. We're educationally diverse. We have people with PhDs and people with master's degrees and bachelor degrees and diplomas, people with high school education and people who didn't get that far. We're leisurely diverse, and I made that word up. We're leisurely diverse. We like to relax in different ways. We have people here who golf and like horseback riding and bridge and reading and, and music and watching baseball and playing hockey and, and playing volleyball. Well, truth be said, I think just about all of us actually like playing volleyball. But we're also sinfully diverse. We're sinfully diverse. And I, I don't mean here that diversity is sin, but I'm referring to the diversity of sin. The Lord has drawn us out of all kinds of different sinful behavior. In 1 Corinthians 6, 6 verses 9 and 10, Paul says that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God and then lays down a list of sinful behaviors. And if you consider that list, each one is represented in this room. That, that those sins have polluted the lives of people in our midst, but that is not an exhaustive list. Your sin is included here as well, the, the sin that, that you were engaged in before coming to Christ. So the question that, that Paul has for us this morning is what could possibly unite such a diverse group of people? What could possibly unite people with each other, let alone unite them with God? It would take something very powerful to do that. Something very powerful indeed. And he tells us what that is in verse 11. Where he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So just as verses 9 and 10 accurately describe us before coming to Christ, verse 11 applies to us now. Such were some of you. Beloved, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. The gospel of Jesus Christ has unified us with God and it has unified us with each other. Hallelujah. The gospel has unified us with God and the gospel has unified us with each other. So we are sitting here this morning as a unified body because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider again the diversity in this room. You would not choose, naturally speaking, you would not choose to hang out with people like those in this room. For the most part. But you are gathered here together because the gospel of Jesus Christ has gathered you here together. And this is a foretaste of the fellowship that we will have as we worship the Lord together in glory. And that's, that's, what is, that's why I chose the song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. It's a picture of, of, the, of what is going to take place around the throne of Christ after his glorious appearing. Consider the scene that's described in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches on their, their hands. And verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is the unity that we will enjoy in glory. Washed white in the blood of the Lamb, where sin no longer divides us from God and sin no longer divides us from each other. Now, I would love to see this become a more diverse church as, as Asians and Hispanics and East Indians move into this area as we, by God's grace, reach out to the, to the, the, the native community. I would love to see this, this church a reflection of the culture. I would love to see us become a more unified church. And I believe that we are growing in that fellowship by the grace of God, as we eagerly anticipate the, the unification that will take place ultimately before the throne. But now let's consider the Corinthians. The Corinthians were characterized by disunity. They were still behaving in many of the ways that they were behaving prior to coming to Christ. They were missing unity and purity, but as we said for the introduction, it was ultimately a lack of love, a lack of love for God and a lack of love for each other. And Paul was calling them here out of division to unity through love. And so in this passage, there's really four main points. Paul is calling the Corinthians not to be partitioned, but perfect. Not to seek personalities, but a person. Not to seek Paul, but a picture. And not ultimately a picture, but proclamation. 
And this, this week we're going to look at the first two points. Not partitioned, but perfect. And not personalities, but a person. So in verse 10, Paul tells the Corinthians not to be partitioned, but perfect. After making so gracious and loving an introduction to this letter to the Corinthian church in verses 1 to 9, pointing them to Jesus Christ in every single verse, Paul here makes a passionate plea. He appeals to the Corinthians affectionately as brothers. Now the word here refers literally to siblings, whether male or female. And Paul uses this word this word brothers 39 times in 1 Corinthians. That's more than twice as many as he does in any other book, in any other letter that he writes in the Bible. 39 times. And I believe that he does so because he wants to remind the Corinthians of what they actually are. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of the family of God. And so Paul appeals to them by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you remember, he had referred to his apostolic authority in verse 1, but he doesn't appeal to that here. He appeals to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one on whom his authority depends. Now, we've talked before about, about what it means to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's not a magic word. We don't tack in Jesus' name onto our prayers as though that twists God's arm in order to make him do what we want him to do. To invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is an appeal to the authority of Christ, the ultimate authority. It is also an appeal to his power, a prayer that God would work because of what Christ has done. And here it also points to Christ's character and his humility and his love and his selfless sacrifice. And the Lord isn't just Paul's Lord. He is our Lord. He is Lord of the Corinthians and he is our Lord here as well. He's implying, if he is your Lord, why don't you act like him? If he is your Lord, why don't you do what he tells you to do? Consider again that the division within the Corinthian church, they were divided over church leaders from verse one, from chapter 1, verse 10 to 4.21, over immorality, chapter 5, 1 to 13, and 6.12 to 20. Over lawsuits, 6, 1 to 11. Over marriage, chapter 7, verses 1 to 40. Over food offered to idols, chapters 8 through 10. The conduct of women in the church, chapter 11, verses 1 to 16. In the Lord's Supper, chapter 11, verses 17 to 34. Spiritual gifts, chapters 12 to, to 14. And the resurrection, in chapter 15. This was a divided church and Paul is calling them in the name of Christ out of that division into unity. So Paul appeals to them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that they all agree that there be no divisions among them. Now what the ESV translates as 
that all of you agree is literally that you say the same thing. And this, this is reflected in the King James Version. In Paul's day, the term uh, applied to political communities that were free from factions. And so Paul appeals to them to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In fact, he's telling them to be perfectly unified. The Greek word katartizo literally means to restore to right condition. It's used in Matthew chapter 4 to speak of, of repairing nets. And in 1 Thessalonians, to, to restore faith. So the King James translates it perfectly joined together and the NIV perfectly united. And so Paul is calling the Corinthians to perfect unity in word and mind and judgment. In word, mind, and judgment. What the Corinthians need is the mind of Christ. They need the mind of Christ. And you can only get the mind of Christ through Christ, through his power and his authority. And that's what he's going to, going to speak of when he, when he goes on in chapter 7, in verse 17 and following, about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to do what is humanly impossible. The Corinthians need the mind of Christ. But the reality is that through the gospel, they already have the mind of Christ. Chapter 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. The Corinthians have it through the power of the gospel. They know what Christ says. They know what Christ thinks. They know how Christ judges. And beloved, we too know what Christ says. We too know how Christ thinks. And we too know how Christ judges because we have God's word. Because we have the Holy Spirit enabling us to believe and to understand and to apply and be transformed by the word. And so Paul is incredulous. How can those who are united with Christ not be united with each other? In his mind, it is impossible. But notice here that he's not calling them to uniformity, but to unity. Now later on, Paul's going to, to commend the diversity within the church, saying that the, the, the church is like a body with, with different body parts working together, functioning together. When the church works together as it should, it's like a beautiful symphony where you have the, the brass and the strings and the percussion all working together in perfect harmony because they're playing from the same sheet of music. But it's not so in Corinth. It's not so in Corinth. So he tells the Corinthians to not seek personalities, but a person. Not to seek personalities, but a person. Verses 11 to 13a. Word had come to Paul from those in Chloe's household that there was quarreling in the church. Now, we don't know who Chloe was. She, she's not mentioned elsewhere, but it's likely servants from her household had gone to Paul and told him what was going on in Corinth. Now, when I was in school, I didn't like tattletales. 
kids who went running to the teacher in order to get others in trouble. So kids, I want to ask you, how do your mom and dad respond when you tell on your brother or sister just in order to get them in trouble? You get in trouble too, don't you? But what if your brother or sister is doing something really dangerous? What if if they're sticking a knife in the electric socket? Or, or what if they're, they're about to, to, to jump off of the back shed? You would tell your parents, and they're not going to get mad at you, are they? They're going to say thank you. When you go to the proper authority, in this case, kids, when you go to your parents, You're actually loving your brother or sister even if they get mad at you. There is a time and a place to go to the proper authority in order to deal with a serious problem. And the problem in Corinth was serious and it warranted this discussion between the servants of Chloe's household and Paul. In Corinth, the authority was Paul. Just imagine for a second what Paul's response would have been when his beloved, when he found out that his beloved Corinthians were engaged in infighting. Remember, this was the church that he had planted. Many of the people that, that he was, was leading had actually come to faith directly through his ministry. These were people that he knew and he loved intimately. And then he finds out that they're dividing against each other. And that they're even dividing against him. But again, Paul is gracious. He refers to them as brothers, reminding them of what they are. And here the primary issue, the one that he's going to deal with for the next few chapters, is that they were dividing along the lines of personalities. He says, one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now, following Paul is natural in one sense. As I said, he was the one who had planted this church. He was the one who, who had, had the God had used to, to lead many of them to salvation. Many of them viewed him as their spiritual father. But others in the church aligned themselves instead with Apollos, the educated teacher from Alexandria. He was eloquent so that they preferred his rhetoric over Paul's simplistic preaching of the gospel. Another faction in the church was, was that of Cephas, Peter. Now we don't know whether Peter had actually visited Corinth but we can understand why some people would naturally prefer him. He was, after all, one of the original 12 apostles, and he was a leader of the apostles. And perhaps there might have even been fleshly reasons for it as well, that, that they, maybe some in the church resonated with Peter and his sympathy for the Jews and for Jewish customs. But there was another group in the church who claimed superiority above the others. They said, I follow Christ. 
I follow Christ. Christ was for them an opportunity to look down on others. They're saying, you're following mere men. I'm following Christ. Now, I've heard of this, this, I've seen this sort of attitude myself. People who say, we have no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. And it sounds very spiritual, but is it? These Corinthians claim to have no leader but Christ, but their failure to submit to the leaders that God had given them was a failure to follow Christ. Say that again. These Corinthians claimed to have no leader but Christ, but their failure to submit to the leaders that God had given them was a failure to follow Christ. God has placed leaders in the church and he tells us to submit to them. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Submission is a dirty word in our culture. And many of us know of examples, many of us have been hurt in examples where spiritual authority has been abused. Where men have gone beyond their, their godly mandate. And I've had to confess where there's been times that I've done that too. But a failure to submit to the authorities that God has given will ultimately harm you. There is a benefit in submission. It is a benefit for you personally, it is a benefit for your family, and it is a benefit for the church. And here in Corinth, this exalting of particular personalities was a hangover from the idolatry of the day in which religious leaders were exalted and considered to be on the level of deity themselves. But really not that different today, are we? Some hangovers take a long time to fade. We are so blessed to have access to all kinds of fantastic preaching. I still listen regularly to sermons online. But we need to remember that the pastors that we listen to online are not our pastors. Vodi Bauckham is not your pastor. David Platt is not your pastor. John MacArthur is not your pastor. Well, he is pastor for a couple of visitors here this morning. But, but these men, as much as they are a huge blessing to the church, they are not your pastors. David Platt is not walking with you through the joys and trials of life. Unless you're part of his church, John MacArthur will never have to ask you for forgiveness. Several years ago, I was living in a city where it was extremely difficult to find a good church. And I knew that I had to be part of a church, so I found the best, I went to the best church that I could find, and I went there weekly. 
but I really wasn't getting the teaching or the leadership that I wanted. So every Sunday afternoon, I would go home and listen to a sermon online. Now, I claimed to be part of that church, but I wasn't submitted to that church. I was acting as a lone gun. I was feeding at somebody else's table. Now, it's okay to go to somebody else's house for dinner occasionally. But if every, every week you are rejecting what your wife has put in front of you and going to eat at somebody else's house, you are dishonoring your wife. So at that time, I viewed John Piper and Martin Lloyd-Jones as more my spiritual authorities than the ones that God had given me. And it was disingenuous, and it was wrong. And in doing that was also making an unfair comparison. My pastor could never preach like Martin Lloyd-Jones. There's only one man in history who's ever called to preach like Martin Lloyd-Jones, and that was Martin Lloyd-Jones himself. But it's also a source of pride to align yourself with a popular preacher. And Paul warned the Corinthians, and he warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, to let no one boast in men. He says, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. I'll talk more about this when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But these leaders in the church are gifts to the church. That was true then and it is true now. And God has given these men to the church, and here I mean the universal church, to show God's zeal for his church. And we are living in a time when we, when we as I said, we have access to so much great preaching. But never let it detract from the ministry of the local church to you and your ministry to the local church. In verse 13, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions which are meant to show the Corinthians the ridiculous nature of their division. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Paul does not want them to follow them in the sense that these Corinthians were following him. None of those men, none of those mere men wanted the kind of following that the Corinthians were giving them. Paul commends Timothy for, for following his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life, his patience, his love, his steadfastness, his persecution, and his suffering in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He commands the Philippians to join in imitating him and those who walk according to the example of the church leaders in Philippians 3.17. Paul wants the church to imitate him, but only to imitate him as he imitates Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Follow Paul as, fall, as Paul follows Christ. Follow those 
We're following Paul as Paul follows Christ. Have you ever been in a, in a new place where, where you, have to, you have to drive somewhere and the, the streets are complicated and you really don't know how to get there? But then somebody comes along and, and offers to lead the way. Somebody that, that you know knows how to get there. Somebody who has a reputation for being a good driver. You immediately relax. Because this person knows how they're going and they know how to get there. Paul knew where he was going and he knew how to get there. The road was very dangerous, but Paul's example could be trusted. And it could be trusted because Paul was following Christ. And then Paul asks, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? These Corinthians were acting as though Christ had been partitioned into different factions. But Christ is not divided. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4, 4 4-6. The power for our unity comes through Christ himself. This is what the gospel does. It gives us a new identity. For years, I'm, I'm amazed and ashamed to admit this, but for years, I identified myself as a drug addict. I actually viewed being a drug addict as a good thing. Now, I wouldn't have exactly used those words. But my identity came through my sin. Last year, my, my foster uncle came to visit. And, and he is, is pursuing a life of, of homosexuality. And I had opportunity... To, to witness to him and to speak to him of the freedom in Christ. The homosexual community is so big on finding their identity in their sin. And so there's whole neighborhoods and there's parades. And we might look at that and we might think, I get, this is unbelievable. But maybe before coming to Christ, you weren't that different. Maybe you also identified yourself with your sin. And maybe you still identify yourself, maybe not, not exactly uh, by your sin, but you identify yourself as being part of some particular group or following some particular hockey team or being part of some particular line of work. Whenever 
we identify ourselves along the lines of anything, anything apart from our identity in Christ, we are committing idolatry. It's idolatry. And so as we are transformed by Christ, we begin increasingly to identify with Christ. And so we identify with others who identify with Christ. When I was in high school, there was a, was a quad area that, that um, people would sit in. And, and every day you could go and there was, there was steps that lowered down to a different level and there was certain groups that would sit in certain areas. The cool people sat over in, in one corner and the, the, uh, the, the jocks sat in another area. The wannabes kind of sat a little bit close to one or other of those groups, hoping to get an invite into, the, the, into that clique. The rockers met instead outside in the smoking area. That's what, what my high school looked like. And, and, and if you went to high school, you could probably identify with that. That people identified with people who were like them. But sadly, this happens here after church as well. Maybe you divide according to your personality, according to your particular demographic. Now, it's natural to want to go and talk with, with the people that, you, that, that are like you, that are the most like you. But I wonder, if you were dividing for these reasons, for any unbiblical reason, aren't you acting like mere men? That's what the world does. Division is natural, but brothers and sisters, we aren't natural. We are supernatural. It's easy to sit down and talk with people that are just like you. It's easy to sit down and talk with, with the, the same people week in, week out. Now, don't get me wrong. I do see people here mixing, mixing it up and intentionally going and talking to different groups. This, I see this. this is, there's been a marked change here even in the last few months. But when was the last time you sat with somebody new? Do you sit with the same people each week and do you talk to the same people each week? For some people, going to, to church is no more interactive than going to a movie. Get a group, you meet there before the movie starts, you sit in silence and watch the movie. After the movie, you get in different cars and go to different places. You never even discuss it afterwards. I want to challenge you, after the service, sit with someone that you haven't sat with for the last several months. Sit with someone that you don't know. 
Sit with someone that you've never sat with before and intentionally lead the conversation to the things of Christ. Think about that person, not according to their particular demographic or their particular tastes, but think about that person who has been bought with the blood of Christ. Identify with that person as, as someone that, that you have the most important of all things and the only thing that really matters in, in community with. As you do this, as you sit down and intentionally reach out to others in the church, you will find that you have a unity that transcends any difference. You'll have a unity that transcends your sinful differences. You'll have a unity that transcends even your inability to forgive when others sin against you as you consider that this is a person that is is your co-worshipper of Christ. And those who are on the outside looking in will know that we are Christians by our love. Let's pray together.